The Sisters Grimm podcast is intended for mature audiences only. Please, listen at your own discretion. Blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. The most notorious serial killer in the nation, the Night Stalker. The Boston Strangler. The Son of Sam. The infamous Zodiac Killer. What's your favorite scary movie? Morgan, would you like to hear the country song I wrote about orange juice and Orenthal James Simpson? The juice and the juice? The juice and the juice. Sure. It is called Two Different OJs at the Table. I'd love to hear it. All right. I got two different OJs at the table. One you sip and the other one was able of being acquitted, killing his wife that he did with these. Yeah, one of them's a murderer and one of them you can squeeze. And the children say, I've got two. <laughs> oh, it took a really like folksy, soulful place there. And the children say, <laughs> and all the kiddies say, hey, I got OJ and I like drinking it with a straw. Hey, I got OJ and the glove didn't fit, so you'd better quit. Hey, hey. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the Sisters Grimm podcast. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Also, I would like to mention that while I was looking up some last minute deets Uh on my case, because this episode is about wrongful convictions, we'll be talking about Ryan Ferguson and the West Memphis Three, Yes, and while looking up stuff about about Ryan Ferguson, I saw this crazy article on the side that I thought was just, like, clickbait, because Uh it was, like, man kills someone, or man, like... It was like, man, I feel like a woman. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was an article about Shania Twain and how she... No, I don't want to implicate and how she feels like, yeah, I would mention that on the podcast. I would, honestly. But um, no, it was like a man got in a a domestic dispute over Captain Crunch. So obviously I clicked on it. And so there are all of these like different things. Me with fucking booberry. Do you have any more booberry cereal? Oh, you know I cashed that booberry. Fuck. Okay, so call back to the booberry cereal from last week's episode. It's gone. It's gone now. I ate it. Duh. It's been a week. It fucked up my mouth. It really did fuck up your mouth. I um, ate it too ferociously. Yeah. It was like a wild it, beast. It really it. boo up in your face. Yeah, you know when you just like can't but stop oops. eating dry cereal and then your entire inside of your mouth is fucked up? I love that feeling. That's why I only eat dry cereal. So this dude basically got really mad at his roommate for not closing the bag of Captain Crunch. And because it was stale and he didn't have any teeth and he's like, do you know how fucking hard it is to eat Captain Crunch with no teeth? And it's like, why would you get the most well-known cereal? No, like Captain Crunch is notoriously known as the cereal that's going to fuck up your mouth the most. Yeah, I don't get, I don't ever eat a Captain Crunch. Like you're asking for mouth contusions. You're you're like asking for like a canker sore everywhere. Yeah, you're asking for like that blueberry gave me a little baby canker sore, but it went away in the morning. Yeah. Um. So then I read at the very end, they're like, "This was the second food-related crime to happen 
in uh, Tuscaloosa in the past month because last year, Christmas, on the 26th, uh-huh. two brothers got in a fight, like a, like a serious fight, obviously, that pr- uh, charges were pressed over how they literally were split, splitting a piece of cheesecake. Me. And they got in a fight. And then the third crazy one was this girl beat up her ex-boyfriend's current girlfriend with a Hello Kitty bat, but, like, didn't do a really good job. But the girlfriend, the new girlfriend was, like, after, like, she got hit, the boyfriend said she was bleeding and she was like, I do not have time for this, (laughs) which is just so funny to me. (laughs) She's like, I don't have time to get hit in the head with a fucking Dude, sometimes you really just don't. Hello Kitty. I'm like, I can't. I don't have time for this. I know that feeling. I don't. When something really shitty happens and you're like, no. Yeah, like even if, yeah, it's it's, it's bad like when you get a cold and you're like, fuck. Exactly. So, so... let's get on <laughs> to Ryan Ferguson, the wrongful conviction. Yes, you will or... begin. I will just sit here patiently listening and taking in all of your information. And learning. 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 Breathing. Breathing. Experiencing. So technically, it is the wrongful conviction of Ryan Ferguson, but... What needs what needs to be have the most attention paid to is that this is the murder of Kent Heitholt. Right. Also, last episode I called him uh, Kevin Heitholt, right, right, and right, I right. called him Kent Reinhold because I got him confused with Judge Reinhold, and so I'm very sorry. I will only re- be referring to him as Kent Heitholt, obviously, because mm-hmm. I've only been reading his name for so long. Right. So on November first, two thousand one, Kent Heitholder. Oh my god. Holly. Are you okay? No. So, Kent Heitholt, he was a sports editor for the Columbia Daily Tribune, Columbia, Missouri. Uh Um, And he was murdered. His body was found next to his car in the newspaper's parking lot. I've seen the pictures. Yeah, he was severely beaten. Yeah, his car has got blood all over it. Uh, He was beaten with some sort of object. But the cause of death was strangulation. Mm. Kent's colleagues and friends said he was a hardworking and friendly man, and one coworker described him as a big, bubbly, friendly bear of a man. That's and he sweet. left. I know, and he left behind a wife and two teenage kids. So he was older. Yeah, I mean, some reason I thought he was a young kid. No, he's a little. He's older. Okay. I mean, he has like high school age kids. Was he robbed? He's like dad. No, but I will get into that. Okay. That's very, very funny that you ask that, Morgan. Well, it sounds <laughs> yeah. like a carjacking situation. Mm, you'd think. Went awry. You'd think. Um, so Kent had been strangled with his own belt, and the leather of the belt snapped, leaving the buckle and part of the belt at the scene, and the rest of the belt was never found, nor was the object used that uh, was that hit him in the head. Okay. So Kent... We know this for a fact. These are facts. Um, sometimes I'll be saying facts, but I'll and sometimes I'll be saying this is what the prosecution said, mm-hmm. and this is what the defense said. Right. But these are things we know. So we know that Kent logged out of his work computer at two o eight, and he was last seen by a fellow employee around two fifteen. And the night of his murder, someone from Columbia Tribune called nine one one at two twenty eight a.m. And explains that the perpetrators were two young white men, about 19 years old and around six feet tall. Mm-hmm. This case went unsolved for two years before Charles Erickson, or Chuck is how I'm going to call him, that his, he goes by Charles now, but like he's Chuck. 
he like that's what he was called in high school and stuff um and that's what i refer to him as in my notes um so he contacted police and told him that he believed that he and his friend ryan ferguson were responsible for the death of kent heidholt so according to the police and the prosecution erickson had been at the same halloween party as ryan and they decided that they were either hanging out that night or maybe Ryan was just nice and decided to give him a ride to another party. Or they were, because it was kind of later at night and I, it may, maybe some people, it was also like a Wednesday. So maybe some kids weren't as like crazy about like wanting to get drunk all night. Right. But like they wanted to keep the party going, obviously. Um, I mean, they're 17 year old boys who, I mean, we've all been there. Um, but... Ryan and Chuck were by no means, like, best friends or anything. Mm-hmm. They were just acquaintances. Right. Uh, just two 19-year-old dudes just hanging out. 17. Like most dudes, like... Just kind of hang out? They just kind of hang out. They're not necessarily, like, best friends. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, it's kind of like in your story of the West Memphis Three. Damien and Jason were, like, best friends, but Jesse was just more of an acquaintance. That was, like, first time they hung out with him. But anyways, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so according to, again, the prosecution, Ryan and Chuck, um, are driving and Ryan tells Chuck that they can go to this bar called by George that, uh, his sister can get them into and she can buy their drinks for them. But then eventually they run out of money. So they leave the bar around two cause the bar closed according to the prosecution and police at two thirty. Uh, like most bars. Well, We'll see. So they walked to the parking lot, and Ryan made a couple calls. We're not 100% sure why, or the prosecution doesn't know why. They think right. maybe he was calling to have someone come and meet them at the bar that, like, could buy them drinks or mm-hmm. if there are more parties going on. But uh, Ryan couldn't find anybody, and so he's like, you know what? How about we go rob somebody? Ryan said that? Apparently, according to the prosecution and the police. Okay. So Chuck remembers drinking copious amounts of alcohol taking several Adderall pills and snorting a shitload of cocaine that night. And according to prosecutors, Ryan and Chuck walked to the Columbia Times parking lot in hopes to find someone to rob. Chuck took a tire iron or something of the like um, and hit Kent in the head about 12 times. While Kent was down on his knees after the blows to the head, because, like, obviously that would make you fall, especially if you didn't see it coming... Ryan reached around his waist to pull his belt off and then used the belt to strangle him, using his arm strength to pull up and put his foot on Kent's back to push him down to strangle him quicker and pulling so hard that the belt buckle broke. Wow. So a little after 2 a.m., this custodian named Shauna goes outside to take a cigarette break and sees two young men and goes back inside to tell her uh, manager, Jerry, and asks him to go back with her. And at first, Jerry's like, you know what? I'm good. And then finally, Jerry's like, fine, I'll come with you. And so they go out there. They don't see anything. And then finally, Jerry yells out something like, we saw you. We see you out here. You might as well stand up. And so two people stood up. One of them was at the front of Kent's car and the other one was at the back of Kent's car. And he moved around to the front and was like, someone here is hurt real bad. Like you need to call someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a lot of sports writers actually working late that night at the 
Tribune. And once they heard about what happened, they obviously rushed outside to see what they could do. They didn't know, like, exactly what had happened to Kent. Mm -hmm. So they rolled him over onto his back and tried resuscitating him. He was still kind of alive. No, but he had already been dead. Yeah. Yeah. So the amount of times Kent was hit in the head, as well as what was used to hit him in the head, is very crucial to this case. Okay. The police and the prosecution say that Kent had been hit in the head several times with the tire iron, but in Kent's autopsy photos, he doesn't have a single skull fracture. And a blow to your head from a heavy metal blunt object is going to cause some major fucking damage. And some cuts, probably, because it's sharp. Well, he had cuts on his head. Like, he was hit by something, but not some, not a, not a tire iron. Not a tire iron. What the, and like, but that's what the kid is saying. That's what the, well, this is what the police have put together. Right. Um, and what they will eventually get Chuck to say happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so, according to prosecutors, at this point, Ryan and Chuck left the scene and walked back to the bar. And on their way, they came to a four-way intersection, like stoplight, and this, they saw their friend Dallas Mallory. They had a quick conversation. The light turned green. Dallas goes on his way. Chuck and Ryan go back to the bar, but by this point, the police are at the crime scene, and they use a dog detective, I wrote. What are they called? Crime scene dogs? Oh, yeah. Do- or forensic dogs? Sniffy dogs? Do- Thank you. I put Dog de- sniffers? I put dog detective, like McGruff <laughs> the crime dog, was there checking it out, um, to sniff out the direction, and the direction... Like, the trail that the dog followed was in the complete opposite direction that the police were saying that Chuck and Ryan took. Mm-hmm. So, what right now, what I'm purely going to say is conjecture. It's just a little hypothesis that I have. Mm-hmm. But I think... So, okay, the Columbia Tribune's parking lot had two huge surveillance cameras. Like, you would not miss them. They were not hidden. The night that Kent was murdered, they were turned off. This makes me kind of think maybe it was someone on the inside. Like yeah, someone I mean, else from the office. strange. I mean, I think it's just a little too... It's a little too, too suspicious. Obvious, but it's a little too obvious, too. I guess. But I don't know. So, early on in the investigation, the manager of the Tribune, or the uh, custodian manager, rather, Jerry's statement was deemed as unusable because it was too vague and he didn't give enough details and he couldn't see very well. He was also older and it was nighttime. Um, Shauna, on the other hand, the girl who uh, called the nine was the person who called nine one one was able to give a detailed enough description of the man who had been at the scene. Um, she saw mostly just the dude from the back of the car, and she gave enough details that a police sketch artist was able to create a composite of what the perpetrator looked like. But something that I didn't realize, and I don't know if you knew about this, like I thought people would just give a detailed description of what the person they saw looked like, and based on that, the police would just be like, bada bing, bada boom, and Mm -hmm. give them a drawing. But apparently, there's this thing called an identikit. Not apparently. There is this thing called an (laughs) an identikit, which is basically... It exists. This is a thing. Um, And it's a flip book, and so one page will have a bunch of different types of eyes on it. And so then the the person will be like, okay, well, what kind of eyes did they have? Mm -hmm. And so, and like, nose. That's interesting. Yeah. And I, so that kind of, like... But also, it's hard, and you, a lot of the times, wrongly remember things. Exactly. That's what, uh, yeah. So it reminds me of... Side note, have you seen the episode yet, uh, that crocodile episode of Black Mirror? Oh my god. That ep- it's like recalling people's memories and being able to like see it and like Dude. changing someone's memory because you think it's one thing, but it's actually the other. That shit was cray. Dude, there's you literally... You haven't watched the new season of Black Mirror? 
Okay. Wow. That's so fucking crazy that you say that. Because I was actually going to mention that at some point. Really? Because save the cat moment, like, for real. Kent Heitholt, there was, like, this stray cat that would always hang out at the Columbia Tribune. And Kent would always, like, feed it, Aww. like, every day and, like, like play with it. Kind of, yeah, kind of a, that's really inside, but it's like, it's our old straight but cat, Smokey. that night, the last coworker he was talking to said that like, they were joking about the cat. Cause like the cat was like clawing at like his tires. Cause he like probably didn't want him to leave. Wow. And so like, if they could have fucking questioned that cat, I'm not, like, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil. That's spoiling I don't, the entire not, I don't want to spoil the end. It's not questioning the cat. It's just getting the cat's memories. Exactly. Whoa. Like, the, was it the cat? Was it the cat? It wasn't the cat. No, I think the cat was warning him, but what made me... I don't think I'm going to cry now, but when I first realized it, I started bawling in my car. I realized that, like, that cat probably kept, like, coming back, like, hoping to see Kent again, and then maybe it got, like, sad, being like, hey, where's that guy I used to hang out with? Yeah. <laughs> I may actually start crying. No, it's really sad. It is really sad. Um... But yeah, like you were saying before, uh, like that really changes the game on police sketches for me, because mm-hmm. like our memories make the worst witnesses. Yeah, like so. I sometimes I can I I don't even know if I could remember what your face looks like. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't know if I'd be able to just pick out your eyes in a book. Like when I have a crush on a boy, I like can't picture their face. Do it's you turn weird. into a 13 year old girl when too? I have a crush on a boy. <laughs> <laughs> More needs a splash and pediment. <laughs> um, but yeah, it it reminds me though of um, like during Columbine, for example, they when col- uh, questioned by the police said that the shooter had a ponytail, mm-hmm. but that's because when they were like being taken out of the school, they were just running like in a single file line. And they were just concentrated on the person in front of them, which was this girl with a ponytail. Mm-hmm. So that's the only detail they remember. So that's the thing you remember, So that's yeah. the thing you focus on. So there was also a blood trail, as you would imagine there would be if mm-hmm. someone got hit in the head. And it also went the opposite direction that Ryan and Chuck went. Mm-hmm. Also, Ryan and Chuck never had any blood on them. Mm-hmm. There was never any blood in Ryan's car. No DNA. No DNA. No DNA links these boys to this case whatsoever. I could have assumed that. Yeah. <laughs> so at uh, the crime scene, like I said, they were unable to find the blunt object, but the police were also unable to find any evidence suggesting Kent had been robbed or even had right. been tried to be robbed. And that was the whole thing. The whole reason why they had went there, according to the prosecution, right, was, was to find someone to rob. Like, how bad are you at robbing that you don't even get partially... Like, you wouldn't just right. kill you them only, off You could the get bat. spooked. I don't know. I but mean, I'm, not, I'm not, like, you know... Oh, yeah. No. I, I'm just I, saying there I, is, like, reasons why. Exactly. So, the next morning, Chuck wakes up, and the only thing he's suffering from is, like, a mad hangover. Same. I mean, the dude was on a combination of uppers and downers yeah. that, like, holy fucking shit... I wouldn't um, know, but yeah. But like I said, he had no blood on him. He doesn't have any defense wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but this was apparently Chuck's thing. He would get blitzed on alcohol and pills, and then and coke. would black and coke. Yeah, what all like any drug, and would black out and basically just wreak havoc. He would like destroy. Like if he was at someone's house party, he'd like start ruin like ruining. He the was future. that guy. He was that guy. The guy yeah. that we all fucking hated every party, but still finds out about the parties. Exactly. 
and who like and he would fight people and so the case remained cold until 2003 when they started showing news clips and news articles regarding the case and chuck was triggered by some of the information that he saw and read one of the articles he read showed a picture of the police composite that shauna had given uh and described and chuck thought it looked like him even though it had blonde hair and he has black hair mm-hmm. um and he vaguely remembered being in that area that night, and because of his history of blacking out and doing bad things, he thinks that he committed the murder of Kent Heitholt. And he starts Damn. having dreams you that he being did it. That fucked up all the time. That, that you're you just like, don't know. Maybe I killed somebody. Like he literally yeah. didn't know. It's really sad. Yeah. So now at parties, Chuck is getting drunk and telling his friends that he killed Kent Heitholt. The fuck. Like, no offense, Chuck, but how does he keep getting invited to these things? Who is inviting? you chuck he's fighting people he's ruining things and now he's like doing drugs he and sounds now he's... like a projectile of puker too probably like maybe when you put out the invite on aol messenger don't invite chuck <laughs> facebook party when i'm sorry when did all this take place what year um the murder was in 2001 okay. and this was in 2003 okay wait when so he realized aim, that it was him aim huge huh Wait, so the murder's in 2001 and Chunk didn't think it was him? Chunk? And- yes. Chunk from the movie Goonies didn't realize he had killed Kent Heitholt. <laughs> Until three, two years later. Yeah, because he, he, like, saw pictures Whoa. and they triggered memories. Whoa. Yeah. I mean... Interesting. Interesting. That's very different from, like, how mine went. It is very true. Um, so... Eventually, two of Chuck's friends, whom he'd told about the murder, went to police and were like, hey, so, um, our, our crazy-ass friend Chuck, you know Chuck, um, he, like, said he killed somebody. So, March of 2004, police picked up Chuck and brought him down to the station to question him, and because Chuck is implicating Ryan in this murder, the police Columbia Department also calls the police department in the town that Ryan was going to community college in at that time. Because this was two years later, so they're 19 now. Mm-hmm. And they went and picked him up so they could interview him, too. Chuck's interview with the police is very bizarre. Part of it takes place, well, like, it's in... it's not an interview. That's what they they want you to call it, an interview. But it's interrogation. It's interrogation. Interrogation tactics. Yes. Know that when you are going to be, like, so-called, like, t- like questioned by the police, and it's a situation like this... They already know everything. They already know. They have answers. Or they... They're not asking they already know. Well, they don't have... Like, they have questions and they know the answers to them. They're just trying to get you to say those answers. Um, But this one is weird and it's really... Like, some of the... Like, part of it, they're just having Chuck drive around the town and showing them. Mm -hmm. And then some of it is, like, in, like, you know, the little room that we all are familiar with people having... Right. Um, the interrogation. Yeah. And so then when Chuck isn't giving the, detecti- the detectives, rather, the answers that they want to hear, they start, you know, their bad cop shtick. Mm-hmm. Very common. And, you know, they get in your face when you're not saying the right thing. And they, they ease back. You. Yeah, when you start agreeing. So even when you're watching this in, uh, interrogation, like... It's very obvious. Chuck literally knows nothing about right. that night. He knows It's usually very nothing. obvious. He was blacked out. Um, and he, even he says, like, what I could be telling you, I could be fabricating. Right. And that really pissed off the police. That he kept saying that? Well, that he was... That he said that, yeah. And he's like, well, why are you fucking fabricating it? Or, well, he didn't say fucking. Actually, Ryan swears a lot in mm, his, but... I would, too. He was so mad. I'll get to his in a second. Um... 
so the police asked Chuck what um, what Kent was strangled with and what he was struck on the head with. And Chuck said that Ryan grabbed a tire iron from the back of his car and that's what was used to hit Kent in the head. But like I said, the autopsy photos show that it could not have been a tire iron. Did it seem more like a blunt object? It was... It was blunt, but, like, it wouldn't have caused a fracture to your head. So it would have had to be, like, it could have been something really heavy. But, I mean, our heads bleed so easily. Yeah. And, like, the There's smallest so hit. There. Yeah. Like, so unless they just gave him a little boop to the head, it was not a tire iron. Right. Um, one of the most fucked up parts in Chuck's interview is when they start talking about how many times Kent was struck on the head, because the first time Chuck, they like ask him, they're like, how many times did, did, uh, you hit him in the head? Mm -hmm. And he's like, once. And they're like, no, it wasn't once. Yep. That's what they always do. They're like, they like, yep. They coerce him. Yeah. Morgan's mad. And so Chuck (laughs) says some other number and they're like, no, it was like, they literally talked to him. Like they talked to you like you're, they talked to him like any like learning disabilities. No, Chuck's a very smart guy. What the fuck, Chuck? That's well, because he literally doesn't know. He doesn't know. But yeah, they're talking to him like a little kid, like who stole cookies and you're trying to get them to like, to let this be a lesson to those of you who drink and black out. And think it's fun and think it's cute to black out. It's not. Yeah. Also, keep in mind that if you have two people that will corroborate and say that you were at a murder, you will go to jail. Yeah. Like, you... People so never try think... to have your wits about you at all times. Try to remember things. Try to know what the fuck you as a person are doing. Exactly. Be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of your situation. Know what's happening at all times. So, eventually, the uh, police are like... They're like, you know you hit him in the head 15 times. And eventually they get Chuck to admit it. Even though, in the fucking police report, it says Kent was only hit in the head 12 times, so they didn't even bother to look Ugh. up the right, like, amount of times. Idiots. They are so stupid, and I hate them. Me too. Oh my god, you're gonna hate the prosecutor so much. Um, like, he's, like, literally the biggest douchebag. Um... So, uh, they finally start asking him about, uh, the, the strangulation and they asked what Ryan used. And at first he kind of like puts his hands out, like he, like, use his hands, like that he uses hands. And they're like, no, they're like, he used something that was on him, didn't he? And Chuck was like, maybe his t-shirt. And the, then the detective was like, no, it wasn't his t-shirt. No, it was literally like a guessing game. He keeps giving it them. It was literally a game of guess who. It literally what? He, yeah, it literally. They're like, um, does your person wear glasses? <laughs> they're like, is your person Does your guy have a belt? <laughs> Dude, you have Walter, don't you? <laughs> you have fucking Walter. That game. I would like to point out that that game is very much less racist because when you used to play that game, there was like, it was very un- it's less racist. People now? of color were very underrepresented. And now they in are. the game of yeah, they've made new ones. They've updated it. Yeah, I would like to play that game soon. So, anywho's all Chuck's like, uh, it was a shirt, and the detective's like, no, it wasn't a shirt. And so Chuck was like, well, maybe he used something like a bungee cord. I don't remember seeing any rope in yeah, his car. They're literally just like leading him exactly to the answer they already know and already want. Yeah, he's only given them wrong answers. You think at this point they'd be like, all right, this dude doesn't know yeah. anything. And I'm and- sorry, but if you are ever a juror, look at that. Listen. 
Well, that you was can a tell. No, that was a big part of the case. The um, the courtroom that they were in had such shitty audiovisual quality that the like aud- like you could not hear. Ugh. They couldn't hear it. But wasn't that all they had on them? Was that? Well, they had. Uh, they just had like te- eyewitness testimonies, and I'll kind of get to it why they were swayed. I mm-hmm. think the detectives finally tell them they're like, we knew that he was strangled with his own belt and Chuck is like super confused. And he's like, wait, Ryan's belt. He's like, they're like, no, Kent's belt. And he's like trying to think of like, cause I mean, obviously he's like, what? since he didn't do it, he didn't know that like Kent had been hit in the head and fell forward. So like you kind of, he was just, and that, I mean, that's like a big detail that you would need to know is that someone was strangled with a belt that right. broke. Exactly. And then Chuck was like, I would have never even thought it was a belt. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. So when they asked Chuck why they did it, he said, I'm not sure, but if I had to guess, it would probably be because we were trying to rob him. And we know before that there were no signs of him being robbed. Right. So he had, like, all of his stuff on him? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wallet, all of that. Yeah. Wow. So the clips from Ryan's questioning are very, very different, obviously. I've seen some of uh, his questioning, like, footage. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He gets really angry, but he, yeah. like, maintains his, you He know. just seems really, really irritated, which who would not be? Yeah, well, because... because they... the way they do it is they just keep asking you the same question over and over and over. And it's yeah. usually, did you do this? Did mm-hmm. you do this? Did you do this? Yeah, at one point, he literally hits the table, and he's like, what do I have to say to you that will make you believe me? Right. He's like, I don't know how many times I have to fucking tell you guys this. Right. And so, according to Ryan, um, he and Chuck did go to the bar together. But, um, whereas the police said they left around 2, they left... Uh, Ryan says that the bar closed at one thirty, And so then they left around 1. He drove Chuck home. And got back to his house at around 1.45. Mm-hmm. He made five phone calls and received three phone calls between the time of 1.45 to 2.08. So the and cops must know have this. already knew about the phone calls. So they must have already been thinking of him Well, no. They before. were thinking of... No, they were just trying to put him... Put things that he actually did into their narrative. Exactly. Right. Because what makes... Because otherwise... I mean, this would have been... If he was killed moments after, like, how could he... If his last call was at 208, mm-hmm. and Kent was killed in between, like, 217 to 2... I don't know. They called 911 at 228. Like, that's such... Yeah. How could the fuck could he have gotten all the way over there? Right. Or, like, how could he have gotten... I mean, like, you know... Or, like, how could he have gotten from the bar? I mean, I don't know the proximity, but... Right. It doesn't make sense. Plus, the timeline is completely different, you know? Mm-hmm. So the police, at this point, are kind of screwed because they don't have enough information to make any arrests... Uh, and they have one person admitting... Which always looks bad. Yeah. They have one person admitting to a murder, and the other person who allegedly was there is, like, standing firm on the mm-hmm. fact that they are innocent. Smart-ass motherfucker. Yeah. Doesn't fucking, you know, doesn't waver at all. Yeah. Tells the same story every single fucking time. 
So they need to find someone who can corroborate Chuck's story, so they bring in Dallas Mallory. Hmm. Dallas Mallory was the one he saw that night at the four-way intersection, and they talked for a little bit. Light turned green. Dallas drove away. Right. Dallas drove into the night. <laughs> um, but Dallas says that he never saw Ryan and Chuck at that intersection, and he doesn't even remember seeing either of them that night. He's like, I don't think I saw them that night. But the police keep pushing him and tell him that Chuck said that he remembered seeing Dallas and remember talking to him that night. And Dallas was like, no, I definitely didn't see him. And he was, like, confused because, I mean, it was two years after the fact. Right. Like, can you remember? Well, actually, I can I wouldn't remember seeing some. Well, I don't know. I mean, I have a really good memory, but. I don't. But, like, if it's something, if it's hard something to remember. you don't think about. Yeah, it's hard to remember something. You're not thinking, oh, I should remember this in that moment. Exactly. It's hard to remember something if it was insignificant at the time. Exactly. So Dallas is like, okay, if Chuck talked to me that night, ask him what I was wearing. So right. they went over to Chuck. They asked him, because it was Halloween, so right. they're like, what was Dallas dressed up as? True, because that's a good, in, that's that's the only good thing about it being on Halloween is like that kind of stuff. Well, I guess. But Chuck says that he uh, saw Dallas dressed up as a police officer, and they go back to Dallas and tell him that Chuck said that he was wearing a police officer costume, and Dallas was like, well, I was dressed up as a police officer that year, so I must have talked to them that night. Interesting. But there are pictures that have surfaced online since then of all of them at a party together. Okay. And he was dressed up as a cop. What were the other two so, dressed up as? I don't, I, don't rem- I don't know what their costumes were. So, like, that's probably when Chuck remembers seeing mm-hmm. Dallas. And when Dallas remembers, maybe yeah, you he don't saw always Chuck. remember who was at every party exactly. that you go to. Especially not when In you're high school, fucked up. And Columbia was a, is a big town. It has, yeah. like, 108,000 people. Right. Like, that's a big town. Mm-hmm. Maybe offer... Dallas Mallory written looks like Draco Malfoy. <laughs> it does a little, now that you're saying that. That's right. I, thought I, was about to, I was like, what is Draco Malfoy about to bring to this story? So next they call upon Draco Malfoy, and he's like, <laughs> my father will hear about this. He's and they're like, like my father oh, heard fuck. about this, and he knows who killed them. He's like, I'm a fucking wizard, and I'm going to fucking about a cadaver your asses right now. Asses. Your asses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in 2004, they arrest Chuck and Ryan with the murders of Kent Heitholtz. They offer Chuck a plea deal in exchange for him testifying against Ryan at his trial. What? And the trial began in 2005. By this time, Chuck had been, like, heavily trained. Like, by the cops. By the cops. He went from knowing nothing to giving details that, like... Like, he was, a, a thing you notice, um, a lot of information I got, I for a second, for a second, felt like we were just talking to each other. I forgot we were recording a podcast. Same. Um, but in the documentary, I watched Dream Killer, which I suggest everyone watches, because I didn't even know about it. I literally just, like, Googled lesser known crime documentaries mm-hmm. and found this one. And, um, oh, where was I getting at with that? About him being trained. Oh, yes. No, like, he uh, goes into these elaborate stories when, like, they ask him questions. And um, even at at one point, like, one of the uh, attorneys is like, okay, I asked you a yes or no question. I didn't. But, like, it's like, shut up. Let him talk. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So Jerry, the custodian who was at the Tribune that night and only kind of saw him, testifies Mm -hmm. for the prosecution. 
they called upon him uh, against Ryan, and he says that, that the two people he saw that night were Chuck and Ryan, even though the police report said that his account was too vague. During his testimony, Jerry said that while he was in jail for unrelated charges, he received a newspaper from his wife and saw an article about Kent's murder, and there were pictures of Chuck and Ryan, and he remembers them as being the boys that he saw that night. So in 2003, when Chuck was first questioned, like I said, didn't know anything. And then uh, super totally, like, was acting out, like, everything with the prosecutor, who was Kevin Crane, who is the biggest piece of shit in the world. Yeah. He looks like Satan. He looks like what? he's playing, like, um, like, I kept thinking, like, I'm like, this guy looks like an actor, but it's because he just, like, is just so, like, he just chewing the scenery, like... It's like watching Courtney Vance be um, uh, Johnny Cochran mm-hmm. in The People versus O.J. Simpson. It's, right. It's, but it, he just, like, fucking makes you so fucking angry. Um, so the defense focuses on the fact that there isn't any physical evidence implicating Ryan to this murder. Right. None of the blood or fingerprints found at the crime scene belong to Ryan Ferguson or Chuck. Maybe right now I should just take a moment to bring up Peter Ferguson, Ryan Ferguson's dad, who is mm-hmm. the realest motherfucker in the whole game. That's what you were telling me. He literally, he was basically the Badass star. dad doing it for himself. Badass dad doing it for himself. Doing it for his kid. No, he, the dedication he has, like, I cried so many times just watching this documentary. I can't wait to watch it. It's so fucking I, I didn't good, watch dude. it because I wanted you to tell me stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so amazing. Like, it's fucking so good. Um, and it's, like, mostly from the dad. And, like, the dad was, got really into, like, helping Ryan. He, like, basically taught himself law. He got who he thought was the best defense attorney Mm -hmm. in Missouri. Um, you know, he, like, he knew all of this stuff. There came a point where Ryan was being called to be a witness, which never happens during a murder case. Is that legal? It never, ha- it's like a Hail Mary, basically. It's because they have, like, nothing else. So they want the prosecutor, they just want to see, they want the prosecutor, because he's a good, I mean, he's a piece of shit, but he's a good prosecutor, and they want the jury just to see how he reacts to mm-hmm. the questions. Okay. So, I mean, you could have done it or you could have not. Like, if you come off the wrong way to the jury, they're going to Yeah, if they don't you like you, they it. don't like you. Yeah, if they, yeah, exactly. Gets a second, Peter, that is, gets a second to talk to Ryan. Because he, like, is talking, he's like, at this moment, I was like, shit, we lost. Yeah. Like, if he has to talk, like, this is not probably going to be good. So he just, like, he gets a second to, like, talk to him. And Ryan tells him that he was never even prepared to be a witness. And usually you are prepared. Yeah. So he had no idea what was coming. So listening to Ryan's testimonies, he sounds like, I don't, I don't know. You can't judge the way someone talks. Right. But what, what would you say they thought he sounded they, like? They, people say that he came off as a little apathetic. Mm-hmm. But he's also isn't. Like, a, like, chew, like he's not as, like, it's cause he's scared bombastic. As exactly. He's not, like, as bombastic And he also didn't necessarily know this guy. Yeah. So. And also, he just kind of has, like, a weird accent. Because he, like, grew up in Missouri, like, as a kid. But, like, he was born in Australia. And, like, his mm. family, like, traveled a lot. So his, he kind of has, like, a Californian accent. I'm going to play some clips just because me reading the 
questioning of uh, Kane doesn't have it doesn't the same. it just you got to hear what a piece of shit this dude is right and like I want you to know and the dad is set like when the he's like asking him these questions and they go back to the dad he's like I was so mad he was like you are bullying him that is my son and yeah. I do not like that fuck no like he is like a tiger dad yes so at one point uh when kane's questioning him he asks him what like he thinks about chuck and so here's that clip i believe you testified on direct you thought chuck was an odd man yes you think that's funny i think he's an odd man yes you think that's funny it's not funny okay i just thought you were smiling i thought you thought it was funny no it's not a funny okay well i mean this is america if you want to laugh you can no it's not a laugh it's annoying when they do that because they're like, why are you laughing? But it's like, you're so uncomfortable. It's like a scoff because you're just like, well, plus, why are you even bringing this pointless information up? Also, he's like, yes, he probably like, he's like, yeah, Chuck was an odd guy. Maybe like one of those moments where Chuck was like doing something really stupid, like popped into his head and it just yeah. made him kind of like be like a million yeah. different reasons because you feel uncomfortable. Plus, he a thousand percent does not laugh. No, he it's like, like a little like scoff, it's a little like I said. it's a scoff. It yeah. is a scoff. So the, the this is probably one of the best things I've ever heard in my entire life, especially in a trial. So here's this clip. I never thought I'd be arrested for a crime I didn't commit. Would you? Would you believe you'd be arrested for a crime you didn't commit? I didn't commit one. Neither did I. That's just like chilling. It's chilling, and it's also because it's he's trying to be like this could have just happened to you, and he's like I didn't do it. Something you hear often in trials, Uh, like because people usually who are arrested say like a Ted Ted Bundy type or something. They're not sitting there being like, how would you feel if this was happening to you? How would you feel? They're always just like I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Me 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 me. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not yeah. apathetic enough like no. he clearly is. Apathetic means... I'm sorry, they're not empathetic enough yes. as he is being right now to be like, how would you feel? Yeah, to try to relate to yeah. them. Yeah. You're, or have them relate to him. You are so right. Thanks. You're like, really right. Thanks. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the prosecution also called Shauna to uh, testify, but she was never asked either by the prosecution or the defense to, you know, like in stuff where they're like, is the person you saw that night sitting in this courtroom today? Yeah. They never asked her that. Okay. And she was the only person who could have been like, it yeah. wasn't Ryan. So they also said that it was a blonde teenage kid. And Charles had brown hair. And Ryan has dark hair. I've seen Ryan him. has dark hair, but he did have blonde tips. Ugh. But you know what? The 2000s. So did everyone in 2001. Ugh. Blonde tips were the thing. Real hope. Yeah. It, really you, hope it doesn't you, come back. It's that boy band fucking exactly. shit. Exactly. He was just like, I, everyone had their hair, like, everyone, everyone had their hair wanted like to that. be Nick fucking Carter. Hell yeah, baby. I know I did. So like I said earlier, Ryan's dad, Peter, was the baddest bitch in the mm-hmm. world. He uh, became a realtor, so he would have a lot more flexibility with his job so that he could, uh, you know, do whatever he wanted and help with Ryan. And one of the things he would do was every night he would go and walk the crime scene because Whoa. he would want, because he wanted to know everything. And he would always go there the night of a full moon because that night it had been a full moon. And he actually gained some notoriety while doing this although wait notoriety is being notorious for doing it but isn't notorious bad notorious no 
Isn't it a song? You could in be the notorious movie? for helping people. But I feel like notorious. I don't think it's bad. Okay. Well, he became popular. Just okay. in case I'm wrong, because he's. But he became very popular, and like even people just like walking up would be like, "Hey, what are you doing?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm walking this crime scene," and he would like show them everything. Mm-hmm. And eventually, like schools would come and like bring class like buses Whoa. of kids just to have him do this. That's awesome. I know. So Ryan, unfortunately, was found. Guilty Guilty. of first-degree murder and robbery, even though there was no robbery. And And he he was was how old when he was sentenced? He was 19, and he was sentenced to 40 years in jail, and the dad... Only 40? His dad... That's a long time, Morgan. I know, but I'm just saying, compared to the sentences of the boys... Well, yeah, no. But, like, his dad was, like, because, like, uh, they, you know, the family or whoever can talk at the sentencing trial, the dad's like, I'm never gonna see my son outside of a prison ever again while I'm alive. Because he's, like, 50? He No, he was really old. He was, like, 30 when he started having kids. Like, him and his wife started when they were really when they were older because they like traveled all of these places and so he's like an older dad but he's honestly like also but that's true so fucking gorgeous yeah that part made me cry really 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 hard also chuck only has to spend 25 years in prison because a long uh, time i know i just said 40 years wasn't that long i know 25 is still a long fucking time and he's up for parole in 2020 so hopefully he gets it and it just sucks that if you take a plea deal Mm -hmm. or you say you're guilty there's no way you can be exonerated yeah there's no way that your conviction can be vacated because you already said that sucks. Um, so that's why you should never fucking do that. Well, I mean, actually did it unless you did it. Yeah. Um, so as soon as Ryan was convicted, they immediately started doing the whole appeal process to get him another trial. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of ups and downs and, but like in this documentary, just watching the dad, the dad's like, you just can't stay down. And like, there would be like phone calls between him and Ryan and Ryan would just be like, I've heard he's like, I feel like shit, dude. So there was a, Okay, so it wasn't necessarily about his case, but there was an MTV show that he did, and it was kind I of think like it's still going on. Uh, it might be. I just I've, there, I've only seen the one season. It's almost like Catfish, but he's trying to figure out people who have cases where it looks They've like they didn't do it. Com- mer- and I just com- remember murdered. all of the conversations between him and his dad were like, "Hey man, hey man, what's up, man? Oh yeah, yeah man, uh, I'm just doing a lot, man. Uh, hey man, how are you doing? Like, I miss you, man. Love you, man." They have, right, bye, man. <laughs> they have a very cash relationship, and they no, love each sweet. other so much. Yeah, no, that is actually because... It's just so bro-y. When I was... Yeah, no, they're total bros. Um, when I was watching it, I was like, fuck, if this dude's still in jail, I'm going to be so fucking mad. I'm like, I have to know. I have to know. And then I looked it up, and I was like, wait, he was on MTV? And then I realized he was that guy, because you and I had mm. watched that show, and I was like, holy fuck, because I didn't even know... That, they, that he had had a documentary. Because I'm like, because, okay, Ryan Ferguson is incredibly good looking. And when incredibly I was watching it, I was like, looking. I know I've seen that hot face before. <laughs> <laughs> that hot face, that hot bod. I don't, I don't. For- He's very handsome. That's a hot face you don't forget. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know who that is. And uh, I did, because he had that show. Um, and it's so awesome. Oh, I wish we knew what it was called. Oh, I do. Um, I'll mention it at some point. Okay. So the dad, like I said, really big on, like, when life hands you lemons. You make beef stew? Make some fucking lemonade and put some vodka in it. No. Um, 
like get up. Like he used a lot of basketball terminology because yeah. him and uh, him and Ryan would play basketball like every single day. Yeah, and there's like a really sad part where like he talks about like how he never, how like he thinks he's never gonna play basketball yeah. with him again, and somehow at the a perfect moment where he is putting a for sale sign in one of the houses he's selling. The next house over has a family where a father and a little son are playing basketball. Ooh. Now I'm thinking that maybe that could have been staged. It might have been <laughs> but either way, it's touching. It's very, it hit home for me. So the police uh, that invested this case, invested this case, were huge fucking liars. Liar, liar, pants on fire, 100%. Fire emoji. Mm-hmm. And um, here's some of the things they got wrong while doing this case. So first, they said that the boys left the bar around 2, and Ryan says that they left oh, around 1.30-ish. Mm-hmm. But according to whatever town, I don't know if this bar was in Columbia, but according to its city ordinance, it closed at 1.30, which lines up with what Ryan says. Yeah. Always closed at 1.30. When was last call? Um, I don't know. Probably like 1. Okay. I don't know. So another glaring detail that they got wrong was a story told by Dallas Mallory, who was the only other person who was able to corroborate Chuck's story. There's all kinds of things wrong with, D- uh, with Dallas's story. Well, his story was mostly like, maybe I saw them, maybe exactly. I didn't. Yeah, that and... It's not he even had, the real story. Exactly. And he had signed an affidavit saying that he didn't drive... Uh, in that intersection, he said that he didn't see Chuck. And after doing some researching, they found out that Dallas didn't even have a valid driver's license during this time. And he Ugh. didn't even have a car because he had gotten a DWI. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Also, also found out by motherfucking Peter. He realized yes, Peter. he was driving the, at that intersection late at night and realized that at nighttime... That intersection went from being, like, a red, yellow, green light to flashing yellow. So the night that they supposedly saw him, he would have just driven through slowly. Because that's what you do at a yellow light. Unless you don't know. Because I didn't know that. I would have stopped. You just... No, but you don't... But No, but he says the light was red. It stopped, and when it turned green, he left. Ooh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So then that's how that light was like it would like you know so like one lane of traffic gets a yellow a flashing yellow light the other lane gets the flashing red because mm-hmm. so that they can like yield or whatever yeah. um so i was gonna say i've never really seen a blinking yellow and i might i would probably just stop and then go no blinking yellow just means just roll through. slow just slow down hmm. just slow red means you have to like uh blinking red you treat, you as, treat a as a stop sign, stop sign. that's yeah. why i think with blinking orange i would just be like okay. blinking orange isn't a thing and so yeah <coughs> that would be very confusing sorry blinking yellow it's like cool morgan's colorblind um so shauna told the police and she told crane the prosecutor that ryan ferguson and chuck erickson were not the boys she saw that night whoa yeah this is after he was convicted, though. This was after he had already been convicted. And at one point, Peter has her come down, and she walks the crime scene. She was only 19 years old when this she... This happened? Well, she was only... she It must have been her, like, high school job, because she was, like, maybe 18 or 17 or 18 when it happened. She was 19 when she uh, stood on the stand mm-hmm. as a witness. She's about the same age as Ryan. So she was older at this point, so she had her family, and um, she was walking the case, or, like, walking the um, crime scene with Peter, mm-hmm. 
And she's like, yeah, I didn't see them. And she's like, and Kane pressured me. Mm-hmm. And they specifically never asked her if Ryan was the person she saw that night. Yeah. Because they knew that she would say no. So... Also, there's apparently another suspect. One of his co-workers mm-hmm. possibly could have done it, but there's speculation. I don't want to get too much into well, it. Well, like you said, it, it makes sense since the security cameras were shut down that it could it have been an been inside someone on the inside. Thing. Yeah. But, again, that's just uh, speculation. Exactly. So, Ryan is awarded an appeal trial, gets a new Good. trial, but the guilty verdict is not overturned. Hmm. Yes. So by this point, it's like 2008, 2009. He's been in jail about three or four years. Yeah. The Ferguson family still fighting every day, just as hard as they have been. Farting as hard as they ever could. Farting farting as hard hard as they ever could. (laughs) It's late, you guys. It's late. It's only 11.01. That's not... Oh my God. I'm tired. Don't blame it on that. I'm just stupid. Stupid. I'm just stupid. I'm just like really stupid. So, you know, they just keep rising higher and higher in the judicial system because that's what you do. And Ryan's girlfriend sets up a Facebook page called Free Ryan and it gets millions and millions of followers from all over the world in the um, documentary and if you go on the page. Well, actually now if you go... So, well, in the documentary they show, like, people from all over the world holding these signs, like, people at, like, the... Like, Eiffel Tower, and people, Aww. like, at Big Ben, and, yeah. like, this really cute dog on the beach, and, like, in <laughs> sand, it said Free Ryan, with, like, the dog sitting next to cute. it. That part made me cry, obviously. Obviously. Um, but now on his pages, it's, like, him holding papers of free, Aww. like, people who he's, like, happy. helping. Yeah. yeah. He's, like, an amazing... Excuse me. He's an amazing human being. Mm-hmm. So it you is... have to become an advocate after something like that. Exactly. Learning about how bogus and crazy his case is, and that obviously he's 100% guilty. So it ends up being Ryan's girlfriend who suggests to Peter that they should call Kathleen Zellner, a defense attorney from Chicago who specializes in wrongful convictions. And who is, who a is bad the ass coolest motherfucking woman. Bitch. Oh my God. God, watching her is like literally, like, I'm so surprised she had uh, nothing to do with the West Memphis. I know, I'm surprised too. So in an an interview I was watching of her, she says that like when she heard about the case, she like wrote his name down on a piece of paper, put an envelope, and I think she gave it to like her assistant, and she was like, "If this boy ever calls me, tell him I will take his case pro bono." Yes, which she did because he called. Yeah, they called. They called hard, and she was what, like, like case has she just been yeah. working on before his? Like anything well known? Um, for, like, she's our worked listeners? on a lot of. Well, she's um, right now working she's, on the Stephen Avery case. Yep, yeah, yep. <clears throat> um, I can't name them right now, but um, I know she's. I mean, like that's her big thing. That's her thing. So all of their hard work eventually paid off because in 2012, both Chuck and Jerry uh, agreed to recant their testimonies from Ryan's mm-hmm. trial. And the big thing about recanting while you're standing trial is you could possibly be charged charged. You could accidentally be Charles in charge. You can <laughs> accidentally be Charles Oh my god. You can be charged with perjury. Yeah. It's hard to say charged with perjury without saying Charles Charles perjury, I guess. I don't know. Um, which you can go to prison for. So Chuck and Jerry are taking a huge risk here. So Zellner gets a habeas corpus hearing, which is a hearing wherein a person challenges their basis yeah. of being imprisoned. 
And so Chuck recants and says that Crane pressured him to implicate Ryan. And he says that he doesn't remember a thing from that night because he was blacked out. Right. At first, actually, he says it was just me. <clears throat> Ryan had nothing to do with this. And then eventually, like the people working for they Ryan. They him into saying it. No. Yeah. But like the people, like he still thought it was him. And then they showed the people working on Ryan's case showed him. And he was like, fuck. It wasn't me. It wasn't. Wasn't he like was like man? I should have pled the shaggy this whole time. Wasn't me. Yeah. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. So Peter Ferguson fucking Perry Mason's his way into finding Jerry's wife mm-hmm. and goes to her house, shows her the newspaper, and asks her if she remembers sending it to Jerry while he was in prison. And she's like, I've never seen that newspaper before in my life. Wow. Yeah, so when Jerry recants, he says that the first time that he saw the newspaper with Ryan and Chuck's picture was in Kevin Crane's office. I've seen this part when he... I've seen this guy's... Uh, yeah. yeah. He makes he's me... He's really emotional. He's really emotional. And Kane told him that it would be really helpful if he said that the two people he saw that night were Chuck and Ryan. Yeah. So, <clears throat> while this part fucking made me cry and I might cry now. So while questioning Jerry, she tells him, she's like, you know, that recanting what you said under oath is perjury and you could face jail time. And he's like, yes. And she asks him, the risk is so high. Why does he feel like he needs to recant? And he gets really choked up and can't even answer at first and says that he just wants to do what's best by Ryan and his family. And he can't live with the guilt that he put an innocent man to prison during it he like looks over at ryan and his family and just asks them for forgiveness just asks them to forgive him yeah and um then they like interview ryan and they show him and he's like that man is so brave for taking this risk how could i not how could i not forgive him i admired him for being able to do that so because it would have been easy for him to not exactly and so two different people recanted Thankfully, neither of them were sent to jail for perjury. Um, So she filed this writ of habeas corpus with the Missouri Court of Appeals, the Western District, and citing a number of flaws in the criminal trial, notably among these were proof that the prosecution withheld evidence from the defense team, which are called Brady violations. Mm -hmm. So Brady violations are basically what saved Ryan Ferguson. Yeah. Because they had the newspaper and they never, or they had this conversation with Jerry, uh, question questioning him and him saying that his wife didn't give him the newspaper and that it was these other guys and the prosecutors never told the defense and you have to tell like everybody's got to be on the same page evidence wise otherwise it's a brady violation Mm -hmm. so shauna ort who was the witness Mm -hmm. who was told like that she couldn't say anything she says that crane repeatedly tried to get her to implicate Ryan and that he became threatening during his last conversation with her. And despite being the sole witness who had actually seen the person, they never asked her. Finally, in 2013, Ryan's conviction was vacated on the basis that the prosecution withheld evidence from the defense team. And if you want to watch the best thing in the entire world, watch this documentary. They show in real time and so they're sitting there and they're waiting peter gets a call and it says kz for good old kathleen zellner Mm -hmm. and she's like ryan's out she's like they vacated they're they're like he wasn't there 
No, he was in jail. No, I mean, prison. Peter wasn't there. No, this was Peter. This was Peter. So it was Peter and his wife, but they, or Peter and Ryan's mom, they right. had, they Ex-wife. separated. Yeah. They had separated, but they stuck together for their children, mm-hmm. obviously. Like, they were still, yeah. like, co-parenting. Yeah. They're like, this really brought us together, like, regarding our children. Mm-hmm. It made, like, our relationship as, like, a family Better. strong. Yeah. So it's them waiting, and then Kathleen calls and is like, he doesn't even need a new trial. Aww. They're like, she's like, we can get him out today. <gasps> yeah. Oh, how happy are they? They're crying. Uh, they show his mom calling her mom and being like, Ryan's out. And she's like, what? Oh, my God. And she's like, we're going to get him right now. Because um, Peter is, like, talking to Kathleen and he's like, well, don't you have to do this? She's like, dude, I'm coming out right fucking now. Right. She's like, we're getting him out right now. And, like, oh, my God. It's just... I can't, like, they show the moments where, like, he's, like, in the police van and yeah. he's po- getting... Just imagine, you know you're being released, but, like, you're still under, like, there's still, like, those last few moments right. where you're you under, con- when you're under custody. Because, like, when he's sitting in there, like, he still has to behave like he's yeah. a prisoner. And then just moments later, he's just, like, released. And every it's all hugging and it's very beautiful. And- it's really nice that he got released without having to get another trial. And without having... That it, he's completely... Well, he's free of everything and he doesn't have anything, like, on his... Because, like, with the... Like, I don't want to get too into the West Memphis Three since I think it's fair to say that this is going to be a two-parter. Oh, yeah, this is a two-parter for sure, y'all. Yeah. But, uh, full conviction, I mean, they, 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 I don't know if it, if it's still, but afterwards they, for up to so many years, if they, like, got in trouble, they would have to go back to jail. Yeah, that's with the whole Alfred plea. Yeah. Yeah, there's, like, interesting things, like, you learn when you do these cases. Like, yeah. the Alfred plea I'd never heard I'd about, never heard and I'd either. never heard of Brady violations. I had not either. So, I would like to say... So, how many years was he in jail? He was in jail for ten years. Ugh. So, he was in jail from Ugh. the time he was 20 till the time he was 30, and he's like, Lost I don't know how to... twenties. Yeah, which is really crazy that the documentary is called Dream Killer. Yeah. Because... It's kind of like has two separate meanings because Chuck was having these dreams where he was killing someone, but also Ryan's dreams of having an adolescence or having like, you know, his 20s were killed. Yeah. His dreams were killed. Absolutely. But so much happens in your life from the age of 20 to 30. I mean, I wouldn't even know. I'm not even through it yet. I, oh my God, so much has happened. When yeah. I was 20, I was a fucking dumb idiot, and I'm still a dumb idiot. But I'm I was only 25, and idiot. I feel like 20 was forever ago. It's so long ago. It's insane. Poor it's, him. It's crazy. And, His poor uh, family. But, I mean, he's doing awesome now if you check him up. Yeah, uh, he's, he's a like personal trainer, in, right? Yeah, he's super into personal training. I'm so happy for him that he was able to find something... I'm pretty sure he's still with that girl. He's obviously a huge advocate for Oh, yeah, he has that MTV show, which I'll mention next episode um, at the top. Okay. Uh, it's called... Fuck. I don't remember. But, I don't um, either, but it was really good. And if you go to MTV.com, I bet you can find it. You can find it on Ryan Ferguson's IMDb page. That too. He has so, his own picture. No, we're, we're, so... We're, we're, hold on. The story's not finished yet. Oh. Well, it's just a little bit. It's just a little bit. 
So you know how I was saying that it could have possibly been someone who also worked at the Tribune. Right. The last man to have seen him was this man named Michael Boyd. The first time he was questioned by the police, he said he left the building before Kent and sat in his car for a little bit playing with the radio and then saw Kent come out to his car and then pulled up alongside him and they had a little conversation work-related and then the whole cat thing. The second time he was questioned by police, Kent left first and then he walked to Kent's car and they had their little conversation. Hmm. And then his story changed five other times. Hmm. Which doesn't always mean guilty, but it's not a good sign. Well, yeah. Also, another thing that they fucked up with Chuck was they asked him, like, obviously, like, when he uh, took the plea deal, he became, like, saying, like, oh, yeah, I'll fucking say anything you want me to say yeah and so that it's at that point that he's like oh yeah i saw i saw kent Holt talk to michael boyd because the killer would have had to have seen them have that conversation right so they got him to admit that and then they're like what race was he and they're like oh he was white but boyd is african-american and the only reason that erickson said that he was white was because the police fucked up and, and wrote on the police re- no they fucked up on the police report and it said that he was white but they told him to say that so they fucked they up. showed him the fucking police report and that's um, where he got the information yeah so he fucked it up god just so many fucking this, the plot holes in these stories are that gaping of... yeah it's so fucking it's crazy. like to the point where it's like how did no one fucking figure this out sooner yeah, and like how, how did these people mad? have to sit in jail for decades? Yeah, and Kevin Heitholt's family, Kent Heitholt, god damn it. Yeah, the is- families don't get any justice because it, it's not served because you're putting people who didn't do it in jail. And, and you're spending just- all of your time and money and efforts on people who didn't do it when you're getting further and further away from being able to find out who actually did it because so much time is being passed. Also, I would like to point out that last week's episode, that one dude thinks that Edward Edwards was responsible for this. Unless Edward Edwards knows how to shapeshift into two teenage boys, I'm pretty sure it's safe to say he was not. (laughs) So it's pretty positive that it was two teenage boys who did this, though. Well, see, okay, so this is obviously just... Uh, my speculation i think maybe if it was if it was i'm not saying it is if michael boyd or someone else killed them maybe the two teenage boys just kind of showed up and were kind of just looking around and we're like oh shit what do we do because the killer's not going to be like hey someone over here's hurt go get help yeah but then they also fled i don't know it's very strange you never know how you're going to react in a situation you really don't you really, really don't. And that was actually Kathy Zellner who said that thing where she's like, I have so many clients and I know so many people where they're like, that would never happen to me. And she's like, if you have two people putting you at a murder saying that you did it, you're going to jail. Yeah. And that's so fucked up. Yeah. And it's so fucked up. Because that... that's enough evidence for a jury to be like, okay, it's got to be. Exactly. And so that's why they had him talk. Because like, I mean, like I said, he just has like an interesting accent. Yeah. And like, he just doesn't. I don't know. So that was the story of Ryan Ferguson and the story of Kent Heitholt. Yeah. Um, there is a page called Justice for Kent. It's actually a Facebook page. So if you go to facebook.com slash justice for Kent Heitholt, that is the number four Kent spelled like you would imagine. And Heitholt is 
H-E-I-T-H-O-L-T. So yeah, just check it out, like it, become a supporter for the cause. I had something else to say, and now I forget. It's been a night like that. It's been one of those, it's been like one of those nights. It's been a while. Yeah, it's like one of those weeks. It's just like, ugh. One of those months, you know. Just like one like, of those, uh, like, one of those years. life. 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 So yeah, they haven't even reopened the case. To even try to find someone else? No, and they're saying no because two people were already convicted guilty. <sighs> but like, Ryan's was fucking overturned, you pieces of shit. Yeah, like... I still can't get over uh, it. I'm still so shook. It just so, makes me mad for the poor families. It Yeah. The Heidholtz are who I truly care about the most. Yeah. Well, and Ryan Ferguson. Ryan and his family, because they're Charles. also victims in all of this. Yeah. They lost their son for 10 years of his life. He lost 10 years of his life. Yeah. yeah. They missed out on so much. They missed on playing so much one-on-one basketball. <laughs> Seriously. So, yeah. Sorry, guys. So, this That's will be a ask. two-parter. This is the first part of our wrongful convictions. And next week, Morgan will be telling us all about... The three lads from West Memphis. It's not, like, an exciting thing for you to use, like, a voice for. Oh, I was, like, saying... I don't know why I made it lighthearted. And Irish? <laughs> I was saying, like, the lovely lads from Liverpool. They're like, not. The li- no. The boys are. They were wrongfully convicted. They're not from Liverpool. No, that's what they called the... Be- we need to go to bed. That's what they yeah. called the Beatles. Oh, they called them right. the lovely lads from Liverpool. All right. Well, this is the it's going to be the worst. I, I grew up in the it's 60s. It's a dark fucking story. Yeah. It's like the saddest thing I in the world. I have watched four fucking 2-hour documentaries about this fucking trial and I was kind of hoping to be done with it tonight, but okay. It's going to be okay, probably. Um, so yeah, hit us up on Facebook. The Sisters Grim Podcast. Instagram is also the Sisters Grim Podcast. Twitter, Sister Grim Pod. Nope, Sisters, Sisters Grim, Grim Pod. Pod. And respectively, I am Morgan D. Freeberg on Instagram. And honestly, you know what? Just Google us. I googled me the other Google day, us. and I found, huh? You can't Google us? No, I said you can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I googled Holly, and just a bunch of shit from a blog I had written in 2008 came up, and I was Ooh, like, that's oh, boy. <laughs> no, I was actually like, this holds up. I'm still funny. <laughs> yeah. We have some exciting news coming soon. It's it's exciting. It's it'll fun. be It'll be coming. But uh, coming like around. we've been saying, our Patreon page should be starting up soon. But also, like, we want to know, like, if you guys would even be, like, down for that. Like, would you be down for more content and stuff well like i want to make stickies stickers t-shirts infographics more more, posters maybe more episodes like special episodes but anyways let's be honest we struggle getting these ones out (laughs) (laughs) whatever um bts (laughs) bts BTS of tsg right all right you guys it's been real we love you we think you're cute we think you're funny we think you're smart goodbye good night